Hello, welcome to IntelliCast. It's season three, episode 44. We're on our way to 52 episodes this year. 46. 56? 46? 46. 46, okay. Man, we're off we're to a good start. start. We're off to a good start. <laughs> we're not going to cut this. I don't even know where we record. I want to keep it. Well, uh, we are keeping it. <laughs> thanks for joining us today. My name is Brian Lamar. I um, am the one that messed up, and I'm your host today, along with producer Brian. Hello, Brian. Hey. Already correcting me. Joining me also, a special guest is Courtney Sanfis, who works in business development at EMI. We gave him promotion to two minutes ago. Uh, thanks for joining, Courtney. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Happy to um, be here. Happy to have you. Um, you will hear Bonnie in this episode, and maybe we'll get fortunate we'll get to hear Clay. Oh, yes. His hound bark is quite delightful. <laughs> yeah. Um, this episode brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can reach us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research or IntelliCast1. You can also leave us a voicemail or a text at 513-401-5463. Today, I guess we're just going to go through some quick news and talk about mental health. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be a fun episode. (laughs) (laughs) You want to jump right in? Yeah, let's let's jump at it. Well, first, let's let's talk about some EMI stuff real quick. Um, we have a new white paper, which we're pretty excited about. I know you are, Brian, entitled Strategic Sample Blending, the New Best Practice for Tracking Studies. We just released that within the past couple of days. Right. Um, as we record this, it's been released for about 24 hours now. Okay. You can download that on our website. I think it's pretty cool. Um, we have taken a position in EMI that now's a good time to kind of rethink your tracking study. Um, it's been a challenging time for everyone, and we'll get to that in the mental health part, but also tracking studies with challenges on comparing data to previous data, especially when everyone's attitudes and behaviors have changed. So if you're thinking about um, changing a tracking study, maybe rethinking the sample plan, maybe shortening the questionnaire, maybe rethinking the whole thing, maybe making it mobile friendly. We can help you through all that, and we're kind of excited to release that paper. Is that a good summary, Brian? I think that is a good summary, and the link will be in the show notes. Oh, even better. And then we just did a webinar um, a few days ago. I wasn't involved in it, but I heard it went great. It's when to DIY, when to call a pro. This was last week. You can find this on our website. We have a lot of on-demand webinars, including that one. It was Amy Carley and Jason Enderhees and producer Brian. And so um, download that and let us know what you think. Yeah. Uh, you want to jump into some market research news? Yeah, let's do some news. All right. First up, the top 50 report formally the Hanna Michael and Gold report has been released. Just a couple highlights. The pre-pandemic revenue, and I like that they highlight that, was up 4.8% for the top 50 U.S. market research companies. And the U.S. revenue for the top 10 represented more than 80% of the total U.S. revenue. So it seems like we're a little top-heavy. Yeah, it shouldn't surprise people. We're certainly top-heavy as an industry. The same... The same few companies are really driving at least the revenue part of it, not maybe not the growth as much, but certainly driving the revenue. Um, I think the report is interesting. Like the history of it is interesting. This is a report that, you know, I think a lot of people really look forward to getting, especially when it was the Hanamako report 
and now I'm really excited that kind of the the um, Insights Association has kind of taken it over in some partnership with AMA, SMR, GRBN, Michigan State University. Their business college is helping out, and I think that all that support they've kind of taken to the next level. So I would recommend downloading it. Um, we got it on the Insights Association website, but there's probably lots of other places you can get it. But you know, I think in general, it just talks about the industry overall. And you mentioned the, the, the growth, especially in the U.S. It talks about how they get the data, how many companies are involved. Um, it rank orders the top 50 research firms, which is kind of the big appeal to it. But it goes into really a lot of depth. It, depth it talks about the employment picture, which I think is interesting to people. And here's, here's a couple of insights that I found, by the way. Um, number one is that Focus Vision didn't respond to the invitation email, so they're not included. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Focus Vision says, no, we're not participating. Maybe it got lost in the coronavirus quarantine um, spam mail. LRA, which is a Deloitte company, didn't participate. Research America, which, you know, they routinely have acquisitions, and so they probably jump around the top 50 quite a bit. They chose not to participate. I don't know if it's they chose not to participate. I guess that I guess they call it specifically. They chose not to participate. I guess you yeah. can decline. Okay, and Focus Vision just ignored the email. I found that interesting. They also go through name changes, which is a hot topic, right? Oh yeah, it is. Yes. Um, material. I don't. Did we talk about this, Brian? Material. We did. I. It was in one where we had like four different name changes. I can't keep track of all of them at this point. They're all from sort of just one word. Yeah, Material is the brand new name for Lieberman Research Worldwide. And I've forgotten about that. Um, they bought, they acquired five companies a couple of years ago, and now they're unifying them under the new name Material, which this is how we started talking about our trademark new name of, is it Pancake or is it, what is our new name? Uh, I thought it was Spork. Spork, yeah, Spork. Oh, yeah, spork without the O, without the O. <laughs> yeah, we're, that's unofficial. Um, but we may be changing our brand name to Spork at some point. So that's kind of the summary. Um, they, they go into a lot of detail. If you are newer to market research and you want to know kind of what the landscape looks like, spend honestly a couple hours reading this, especially um, read about every company. They kind of give a nice little summary of all the companies in rank ordered fashion. If you want to know about what Gartner does or What's going on with Kantar or IRI? A lot of these companies we're very familiar with, but some of them, even in the top 10, we're less familiar with. Um, so I highly recommend, any, really everyone should probably read this. A lot of our clients are on here. A lot of our um, sample providers are on here. So um, it's a good read. Did I miss anything? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's just, it's fascinating to see um, how in detail they break out, you know, each percentages of growth um, by company, by top 10, by US, by industry. I just think it's amazing. It has so much information. Um, I agree with Brian. I think this would be a wonderful resource for people who are just getting into our industry or just really like numbers and want to get a sense of different companies um, and their growth over time. And one more thing, and I'll turn it over to you, Brian. I'm sure you have some thoughts as well, but I I find it interesting. Most of these are private companies. Some of them are public, so you can get the public information. But a lot of them are private companies, which is probably why some of the companies choose not to respond. They don't 
want to reveal the financial details, but they goes into pretty in depth with the financial details in terms of revenue and growth and where the revenue is coming from and how many employees you have. And that's very specific. And um, especially I think next year's will be even more interesting because of what we're going through. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm looking forward to reading next year's because there's going to probably be a lot of movement this yeah. year. Looking at the list, I don't see a lot of surprises on here. Uh, I think the biggest surprise for me was that Burke was returning to the list. And I think, did they just choose not to participate last year? Is that what it was? I don't know. Um, Burke just seems to be doing really well. And they've been a mainstay in this probably forever. Um, right. I don't really don't know. I felt, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. The rest going through the list, uh, not, there aren't really any surprises on here to me. Yeah. The, the mergers and acquisition part and the name change part is interesting. Um, just And just reading about what, especially the companies that you, at least I'm not as familiar with, um, is kind of interesting. Like IQVIA is listed as a number two um, in the U.S. Um, two billion in revenue, I guess that's how you read that. And I don't really know a whole lot about them other than healthcare stuff. And so it's, if you want to be a well-rounded researcher, I would certainly recommend, you know, we've all heard of Nielsen and Kantar and Ipsos, but there's a lot in the top 10 that you probably haven't heard of at least. Yeah. Moving on to our next story, Leah Kennedy, the head of Consumer Commercial Insights at BT at a recent panel discussion at the Festival of Marketing, has said that research should resist calls for faster insights. I preface that she prefaced that with really around the qualitative space. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I'll start off. First of all, I don't know BT. Maybe is it pronounced BD? Like, are they missing vowels? That's my first question. But I do agree with the premise. I think that that was a joke, by the way. Um, sorry. <laughs> the um, I agree that I feel like we've got faster, 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 and clients expect it faster, and, and then we the industry moves that way, and then it's like, well, it's not fast enough. And she said now it's about pushing back and saying it's too soon. We can't tell you right now. And having that confidence to give kind of your clients that reassurance is important. And I think this applies to both qualitative and quantitative. I think you're going to start seeing some people – um, push back on these timing pressures for quality reasons, which is the number one reason why we should slow down a little bit. And this isn't trying to um, diminish what a ton of companies are moving towards with this quick research. I just don't think it's for every study or every company. There's there's my take. Courtney, what do you think? I totally agree. Um, I agree with her perspective and kind of looping, you know, this whole episode together. I think it does lead into the the quick timelines, the get it done quicker, the um, it leads into mental health, right? Um, it just puts extra stress on our researching team, our researchers in general. Um, and then in terms of quality, I remember, you know, you gave me a golden standard when I first started working at EMI, how important it is to gauge response rates from, you know, a week, a day compared to the weekend and how it's important to spread your, you know, data uh, conducting over a period of time. Um, and that's, you know, focused mostly to the quantitative space. But I agree with her. I think it's a time for us to really um, take a step back and kind of hold our ground and, and do what's best for our industry and, and for our each client's data that we're working with on a project by project basis. Yeah, good point. 
I like how she says, um, treat us as strategic problem solvers and not as research project managers. Involve I love us. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, involve us early throughout the process. Help us understand the challenges you're trying to solve. And that's more of a qualitative, probably a, a qualitative viewpoint where it's really necessary to understand that. But that certainly applies to quantitative and what we do. I think we can do a lot better the earlier you bring us in, the more information you provide. Absolutely. And it gives you a background of, you know, the problems that they have and what really stems from the objective of the research that they're trying to conduct. Um, Just getting someone's different perspective. You know, when you work on a project, you might get so laser focused on something that you're not thinking about the big picture. So I think it's so important to bring uh, people in to give their feedback, have open conversations um, and work together to conduct the best research that are going to, you know, solve your problem and help you make the best business decisions. Yep. So good job, Leah Kennedy. Let's get her on the podcast. That's another running joke. Yeah, reach out to her. <laughs> we'll reach out to Leah. We'll get her on soon. Love what it. is that? Eight now? That's like eight <laughs> guests that we've called out that we're going to bring on the podcast. That, I don't know. We're not good at executing on that part of it, at least. Shout out. No, we're not. <laughs> All right. Our next story, Schlesinger has expanded their executive team. And really, it seems like they revamped their entire executive suite just some of the changes that they announced was matt champion as the chief revenue officer rob ramirez as chief client officer jamie klein chief talent and integration officer sue maldonado chief marketing officer andrew fine chief financial officer isaac rogers chief innovation officer and laura livers evp of u.s qualitative and there were more in this announcement but that is just some of the highlights of that Let's, let's read them all. Let's just do it. Um, first off, um, I mean, Schlesinger has made so many moves recently. They're, I feel like we talk about them every other podcast. Um, we know Isaac Rogers, and that's a perfect move for him, going to chief innovation officer. He just lives and breathes um, innovation. Jimmy Klein, who I, I know, um, she's good friends with a good friend of mine. She used to work at Ipsos, and she, but she's been at Schlesinger for for quite a while, uh, but she worked at Ipsos when I was there. And so she's been in the industry for a while. That's an awesome move for her um, in the kind of the growing part of Schlesinger. And um, they're doing, I mean, Schlesinger is just doing a good job of staying in the news. People are always talking about them. I totally agree. They're just so big. Um, you know, they have so much to offer. They're acquiring new businesses. I think that they're just doing a great job with, um, you know, setting up the foundations for their company to continue to grow and, and be a top leader in the industry. All right. Our final news story. And I think I put this on here just because I thought made me pause a little bit. Is yeah. that Facebook is to halt all U.S. political advertising after the election well yeah this is i mean i've got two thoughts here number one i mean who's going to be doing political ads after the election right like what are we gonna what kind of political ads do you need but then i thought given 2020 i guarantee you on november 4th we are not going to know who the president is and it will still be political for at least a few days at a minimum likely weeks and so there will be, and this is just my opinion, there will be a trying to drive public opinion for what's going to be happening. Because depending on how this goes, which I guarantee you it will be a mess, is that 
you know, it'll go to the courts and, you know, people will be claiming that there's been voter fraud and some people will be claiming that there's been people denied the rights to vote and this will go into courts in lots of different states. And the public opinion is very important to this. Um, like it was in the 2000 election. And so I'll, I'll be interested to see if they maintain this because maybe they could say that they're not political ads, but I, I, I bet people are going to still be running ads about the election and what's going to happen afterwards. And I'm kind of scared to see how this kind of plays out. Um, that's a little bit diverting from the topic of Facebook, but um, you know, a part of it's duh. Then you think about it, it's like, huh, let's see if you, if you maintain that despite what chaos is likely to ensue. What do you guys think about it? I agree with you. I'm interested to see if they really hold to that. Um, like you said, just with how crazy and different and, um, you know, volatile this uh, election has been, it'll be interesting to see um, how they, if they hold their word or if they change and continue to run ads, because I agree with you. I don't think it's just going away um, as soon as election day gets here. <laughs> I did acknowledge if a candidate can test the final results, but I don't think we'll have final results. Right. That's what I think. If they can test the final results, the social network said it will show the name of the winning candidate as reported by major media outlets at the top of the feeds. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. But I think maybe at least one will be contesting the final results or before their final, if not both of them. Yep. I, I suspect that, I don't know, Trump is going to want something in the courts in Michigan and Pennsylvania – and Biden's camp will want to look at things in North Carolina and Arizona, for example, and it is going to be a mess. And Brian, as a Canadian, you have dual citizenship, so I want to know your international perspective on this one. I'm sure you have an opinion on it. My passport is ready to go. <laughs> but I think I'm going to be the cynical one here. Yeah. Um I think Facebook is just giving some lip service. If they really gave a crap, they would have halted it like Twitter did months ago. Yeah. They're all about the dollar. And by saying it's after the U.S. election, but putting in that caveat like, hey, we might start it back up again in some point. That could be November yeah. 5th. So yes. <laughs> I think it's trying to say for them trying to just say, hey, we're look. We're being good stewards here and just kind of giving lip service to all of their critics around this. That's I me. Agree. I agree with you, but also I don't know why you do why you say this at this point. Like I think that the QAnon, which I don't even know how, if that's how you res, res, pronounce that, the conspiracy theory group that they recently mentioned that they've kind of banned from Facebook. That's a good press release, right? Ninety nine percent of us can say, okay, we don't need. At this time, day and age, we don't need conspiracy theories rampant on Facebook. It's bad enough as it is. But just coming out and saying no political ads on November 4th, that seems weird to me. I'm not sure what the point of this was. Yeah, I, I, I think they were. Yeah, I don't get what leverage they would get from making this announcement right now. Yeah, we're just like, all of us are just cynical about it in one way or the other. Well, because of all the other stories leading up to this. You have, oh, yeah, we're, we're not here to censor. We're not here to mark stuff. They'll ju they're just going to take money from whoever wants to pay it. So this this article and their stance on this means nothing to me. So <laughs> I agree with you. But good to add. It's, it's definitely worth talking about. I like it. Yeah, that's why I added it. I read it. I'm like, really? Come on. 
They have us talking about it, so I guess any publicity is some publicity, right? Let's get Zuck in front of Congress to talk about it. We need that. (laughs) All right. Now, moving on to more of a bigger topic outside of the news. I want to talk more about mental health and market research. Brian, you and I talked about it a couple episodes ago when we had one of the news stories that came out. I think it was on the UK side, but the Insights Association here in the US ran a study with Opinium um, around the mental health of US market researchers, and they've actually done a couple webinars on it. They had one in September and a follow-up one on October, but some of the findings were interesting. They found that there was a higher incidence of mental health struggles among among U.S. market researchers, and those levels actually surpassed those of the general workforce. But their but employer support of dealing with that was actually also higher. They said eighty three percent of people surveyed struggled in the past twelve months, where fifty percent of the general workforce did. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. First off, I want to commend the Insights Association. And I feel like um, Melanie Courtright is paying me for her PR. But since she took over in January, she's had the toughest job imaginable. This is not what she signed up to do, was to lead the industry through what we're going through. But she recognized very early on mental health was a topic of hers. And so... Whenever we had those Friday Insights Association webinars at the beginning of the pandemic, and whenever I was talking to her or listening to her in a more casual setting at a happy hour of some sort, and whenever you read her Facebook, or not Facebook, LinkedIn posts, she's very cognizant of the mental health issue. And so this is likely the multiple surveys and the topic. I want to give a big shout out to Melanie because I think that's primarily driven by her And it is such an important topic that we don't talk about enough. And so first off, kudos to her. To the data, I don't think it surprises me too much. In fact, one of the things I was surprised about that only 50% of the general workforce admitted that they had um, struggled in the past 12 months. Um, It seems like to me it should be pretty close to 100%. (laughs) So 83% of the market research said they struggled in the past 12 months. That seems about right, I guess. Um, and the data looks eye-opening to me, all of some of the data that you mentioned, and that research professionals are less likely to feel pressure to come back to work early, 33% compared to the U.S. workforce, 52%. I feel like it might be even higher than that just by talking to people in our company and in our city. And we're not in an area that's been majorly affected by coronavirus, right? We're not in New York City. Um, we're not the West Coast, and we've you know we've had our own fair share, but we haven't had um, major struggle. At least I don't think so in our region. Um, so I'm surprised it's even that. I think it should be. It seems like it should be higher, and I want to bring Courtney in because I'm sure she has some thoughts on the survey as well. But um, Interesting data. I would really encourage people to read this and have this conversation in your workforce um, with your family because, I mean, I think if you're not struggling right now or in the past few months and some you might have a mental issue because 
we've it's just tough for everybody. Everything a part of our life has changed, and so um, if you're super resilient to that, then I don't know. Maybe we need to, you know, get an infusion of whatever you have. So, Courtney, what do you think? No, I totally agree with you, Brian. Um, you know, I think it's been tough on everybody. This, you know, the surveys and the stats are are showing us that. I think, as you mentioned, the biggest, you know, thing for us to do right now is, you know, an organization and as, you know, just an industry is to keep talking about it. Um, for some reason, mental health is just something that everybody has put on the back burner. You know, it's it's uncomfortable. Sometimes you just don't know what to say. But I think the first step is just um, realizing that it's an issue. Um, you know, we have facts to support that and just continuing the conversation, understanding, you know, what's driving the stress, what's driving the anxiety, um, you know, specifically in your organization or as a whole. Um, and it kind of, like I said, it, it goes back to the endless, you know, demand of meeting deadlines. It, it comes back to, you know, stakeholders and executives wanting answers and wanting business decisions made, you know, yesterday. Um, so I think, you know, as a whole, our industry just needs to kind of slow down. Um, you know, we're only as good as we can um, give our, you know, our physical health, our mental health. Um, it, it affects our relationships. It affects our relationships at home. And it reflects how we sell to people, how we have conversations to people. Um, so I think, like you said, just kudos to continuing to, um, you know, highlight this and have people continue to talk about it. Um, now let's all come together to, you know, work in our community, work within our organizations, um, just to help people not feel this way. Um, yeah. You know, everybody wants to be positive and miss, you know, happy all the time, and it's not realistic. But just to understand that baseline and to really to keep talking about it, I think is key here. Yeah, great points and. I'm going to make a couple and then I'll bring you in, Brian, because I know you have some thoughts here too. Um, one of them is that I think we already work in a stressful industry, right? And, you know, there's a lot of pressure that may have intensified in the past few months. But I think that we have been fortunate that we have a good work environment. Like, we have truly first world problems, right? We work in a nice office. Our office is amazing. Um, we have a nice kitchen. It's modern. We have stand-up desks. We promote health, but also, but we still get stressed out. It's just natural. And in the past, us, along with most of the people, and not in our in, only in our industry, but all industries, can take a vacation. And I think just getting away from work for a few days, taking a long weekend, going out of town for a few days, that really recharges my batteries, or it has in the past. I always have to take a couple days off here and there. To, to decompress and not think about work. That's been another challenge in the past six months is that, you know, me and probably lots of people are like, why would I take a day off work? I'm just going to sit at home anyway, right? I can't go to Paris. I can't go to New York City. Um, it's hard enough to do anything for a weekend. So that's part of it. That's increased the challenges. And then secondly is the break in routine. And Courtney, I know you're very routine oriented like myself and a lot of people we work with that, you have a very set schedule on going to the gym and eating a certain way, and that helps with your mental and physical health. The same thing for me, and all of this is done is break up all these routines. We've had to come up with new routines and that are probably less healthy than our other routines. Uh, maybe instead of going to the gym, you're walking in the neighborhood or you're doing something indoors. It's maybe not doing the same thing, but 
there's this is such a complex issue that again I'm glad the Inside Association is taking on. And Brian, I rambled a lot. What are your thoughts? So I got a few different points. Um, I think the 83 percent that's a decent number. I'm surprised by the 50 percent. Yeah. Um, I can tell you, I'm in that 83 percent. I'm on medication. I'm I've powered through. God, I there's a going to what Courtney said. There is a stigma around talking about mental health or struggling with it. There shouldn't be. Right. If you need help, go get it. I agree. With that in mind, I can say that though. My wife works in that field. Yes. So there's <laughs> right. not the stigma in my house. Yeah. Right. So, um, but just from working with her, that field is a thankless profession. Yep. The profession, the mental health professionals. And as my wife has said, her team is starting to get burnt out because there's more people coming in struggling with this and they're having to take care of everybody and they're not taking care of themselves. So that's causing that issue. So it's all around. So, but I will say if you need help, go get it. One other interesting thing I found in this report was that 52%, while they said they struggled with their mental health, 52% 52% have said that they have a better work-life balance. And and what should come as no surprise to any of us, 94% want to continue to work from home in some capacity. Yep. <laughs> I saw that too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I think, uh, I think part of driving that too is during the lockdown times where kids were at home, you were working from home, and you were trying to be a parent, an employee, the best employee you could be, a best parent you could be, plus you were the teacher, and you can't wear all of those hats at the same time. And that can lead to an unimaginable amount of stress. I know there's a lot of people out there who are still in that scenario where kids haven't gone back. They're still on a virtual school plan. I'm lucky my kids have gone back to physical school. We haven't yeah. had any issues with either schools and any COVID, te- COVID outbreaks. I'm going to knock on some wood there, but I can understand that there's people I know that their kids are at home because they can't go yet. School, school keeps having outbreak. They've gone virtual. I don't understand how any parent can get any work done and try to get the kids all the schoolwork done. So I can feel that. I think that attributes to part of that. Yeah. That overall piece too. Yeah. Great points, Brian. And, um, you certainly have a unique perspective on this. And then a couple more things, and I'll get back to you, Courtney, is that this was interesting is that if you're under 35, it was 90% of the respondents have experienced some sort of mental health problem. So it, it, they were at higher risk is what the data suggested. And then this was really interesting. To your point, Brian, everybody should get help. There should not be a stigma about it. 100% agree. It says that two in five research professionals are offered employee assistance programs I bet it's higher than that, but maybe people aren't aware that their company offers assistance programs, but only 5% have used them. And so if one out of every 20 people is seeking some sort of assistance with their mental health, but 80 plus percent are experiencing it, that's just, that's a huge problem. And so um, I would encourage everybody to think, at least consider it. And Courtney, what do you think? 
I totally agree. And in the younger under 35 actually resonated with me as well, because it kind of took me back to graduating from college and just the stress of finding a job in general once you graduate. You know, I mean, you're you're young. You really don't know exactly what career path you want to go to. If you do, that's wonderful. But I know there's just a large percentage of people who are just still trying to figure it out. So then they get, you know, hopefully they get a job and then COVID hits. So they're, you know, they're balancing just trying to learn and take everything in as well as, you know, be the best employee they can and really strive to um, build trust within them from their, you know, employer or their coworkers. Um, so I, I totally, it resonates with me. You know, I, my heart goes out to the people who are just, you know, trying to get through it this year. Maybe they just can't find a job because of COVID right now. Um, so my heart goes out to them. Like I said, the biggest thing, as you both mentioned, is to just talk about it. Talk to somebody about it, whoever you feel you know, close enough to where you can um, you know, talk about your feelings, how you feel, um, and get help when needed. Great points, Courtney. Um, on some positive news, um, employers get higher marks for their handling the pandemic. Over three quarters of their companies handling the pandemic was good. And I would say ours was excellent. And then uh, 50%, about 50% said it was very good. And so I think that at least employers did a pretty good job. And that probably wasn't easy to react to this. Um, Working from home, um, working remotely, learning all the Zoom and how to do team meetings. And now we're going through challenges with kind of a hybrid you know, who goes back in the office and when and how do we handle those kinds of meetings and what are kind of the rules, the official rules and the unofficial rules around meeting together and things like that is certainly adding more challenges as we're trying to get back to some sort of whatever the new normal is. Um, like we we have a new employee that started during the pandemic. And last week, Courtney, you were there. We had like, I don't know, nine or 10 people in the office at the same time, which is by far the most we've had. And um, we had a couple of employees that were new and hadn't worked in that environment. They didn't even know how to act. Like, like if I want to talk to somebody across the room, do I yell at them? Do I IM them? Do I Zoom them? Like, what are the social norms in the office place? It's adding a whole another level of stress because, you know, we're used to Zooming. And then ha- we're going to go back partially to not Zooming. And there's probably some social anxiety around... How do I act around people? How do I act in the workplace? What are, what am I allowed to do and not do and things like that that I didn't think about until someone mentioned it, but that's adding a whole other layer of complexity. Absolutely. I agree. And on the flip side, I'm just curious too, like maybe, you know, older folks when COVID hit and, you know, it was a requirement to work from home, like the stress of, um, as you mentioned, like learning Zoom, maybe they weren't, you know, tech savvy from the start. So this the stress that that has brought, um, you know, for the older folks as well is definitely something to probably mention. Yeah, I think organization wise, Brian, I would agree with you. We, I think, would get excellent marks. Yeah. I I mean, we went from 90% of us not having teams on our computers to <laughs> being 100% on teams in like a 24-hour period. Yeah. We Um yeah. 
led by you, by the way. Many people don't know this, but producer Brian does not only produce a podcast. He is not only our digital marketing director, so almost everything you see that we put out is through him. He also leads all of our technology, which is kind of crazy. Um, so kudos to you, Brian, for wearing another yet yet another hat and helping us through this with technology. Because you know, it wasn't just Zoom and learning Zoom and all the teams and things like that. We all had to adjust. We're used to having three monitors in the office place, right? Yep. And we're used to, you know, we, we don't all have all the office materials in our home than we have in the office. And so you led that charge. And that was another challenging piece that I had forgotten about until you just kind of mentioned it. That early first month of just trying to figure it out was, I thought it was pretty seamless for the most part. Yeah, I can see. I think part of it with us is that we all, one, we already all had laptops, and that part, there are times we are we had a pretty lenient work from home policy. That hey, if you got a doctor's appointment, you have someone delivering something, work getting done in your house, go ahead and work from home. So that helps. That we just said, okay, well, we've moved over. I can see others that couldn't do that, where you had physical places, and I'm just thinking of one. Like Burke comes to mind in a call center. How are you yeah. going to move all of those call center people who are probably running on desktops to working yeah. from home? I know talking with our our IT consultancy, you could not find a laptop for a good two months because oh, really? all of the larger organizations that had like call centers and stuff just ordered them all up because they had to get them to get their people online. Oh, wow. So like they were back ordered for months. Now you can find all that kind of stuff, but just that kind of piece. Yeah. But Courtney, one other thing you and I were talking just before we started recording, it was being able to turn it off while you're working from home. I think that is probably a big thing as well. I know I struggle with it. It's my work hours are weird now. When I'm in the office, I can pretty much say, okay, I'm in at 730. I'm done at 430. And when I'm home, I'm home. Now I can walk into the office, check my email. I might be on my computer working at like 5.30 in the morning after I work out. But then I'll, I'll run errands and then I might be on later in the evening. So that that boundary of, okay, the workday's done, shut it down, is blurred now. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And even just, um, you know, in the world we live in today, just being available 24 seven, you know, like maybe I'm not locked to my computer, but I'm still checking my work emails downstairs on my phone. Um, so I've also struggled with that, just really having trying to, you know, recreate a new routine. As Brian mentioned earlier, I'm a big routine person. So really just trying to um, use my calendar, really set time apart, um, and you shut the computer off, really walk out of that office room and kind of close up for the day because it is really hard and it's stressful. And, you know, once you start breaking down your body in terms of not getting enough sleep or not sleeping well or not eating, as you mentioned before, I mean, that's all going to play a role into your activity and your productivity throughout the day at your job. Um, so it all goes hand in hand. But I agree with you. That has definitely added to the stress. Um, of COVID and just working remote and mental illness is just being able to shut that off at the end of the day. Well, this was a good discussion. Um, I would encourage people, the webinar is online at Inside Association. If you're not a member, you should be. Um, there's lots of information about mental health online. Talk to someone, your friend at work, your spouse, your friends, a professional, 
um, reach out to us. Um, and so hopefully you are having these conversations in your workplace and at home because this is so important. And um, don't miss anything, Brian or Courtney, to, to uh, summarize this. I would just add if you are looking and you need help and you're not sure where to turn, reach out to your community mental health organizations. They can either help you or point you in the right direction. Excellent. And Courtney, as our chief health officer, um, anything else you'd like to add? You wear multiple hats as well. I don't. I really love just this type of topic. So I, I'm always interested in having conversations when it comes to mental and physical health. Um, I just think it's really key to um, talk about your feelings, make sure that you have someone that you can discuss this with, go get help as needed, as we have all mentioned, um, and just really try to take care of ourselves at the end of the day. That's really what's most important here is our mental and physical well-being. Um, and thank you guys so much for having me on. It has been wonderful to talk about this today. Yeah, thank, thanks to our listeners. Hopefully this was a relevant topic, and I'd love any feedback that you have. Reach out to us on Twitter, email, or leave us a text or voicemail, and um, we should have some good guests coming soon and some um, fun topics. If any topics you'd like us to discuss, reach out to us as well. Uh, thank you, Brian. Thank you so much, Courtney, and um, everyone have a great week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.